so you know in life every once in a while you might come up with an experience that sort of flips you on your head and impacts everything about you from that point forward well I had one of those experiences back in the 80s I was a young wife and mother and I wasn't living in North America like my most of my peers were my husband and I had moved to Nepal after we had been married five months so um, he was working as a civil engineer at that point on a hydro project and we were working for a nonprofit Christian organization we were living in a village that was about 12 hours out of Kathmandu in a mud hut it was a mud and rock hut with a grass thatch roof with no indoor plumbing and had an outdoor like a, a latrine outside it was pretty rough so we had a son born there and then our first daughter um, was born in Nepal as well so when I was six months pregnant the organization directors asked us to move uh, they needed my husband to take over uh, and oversee a remodel job of a mission hospital about two hours away and um, we we went so I was six months pregnant at the time and off we went so the last three months of that pregnancy were there at that hospital area and in retrospect we saw totally that that was God's hand in picking us up from the village and planting us on that hospital compound because when our daughter was born she was born with um, several significant medical issues one of them was hydrocephalus if you don't know what that is it's actually uh, too much water on the brain and so um, the baby was born barely five pounds at birth but she had a massive head it was like the size of a, a large cantaloupe because of all the excess fluid there and um, they knew that they needed to do surgery on her but they couldn't do it there they weren't equipped at all and so she was born on a Tuesday and the doctor said you have to get back to North America on the first available flight in order to have her have this surgery and he said we know that there's something wrong with her heart as well but we can't figure it out because we don't have the mechanisms here to do that she just needs to get back to North America so on the Wednesday my husband tried to get um, airline tickets and a phone line miraculously had gone up only a couple weeks prior from where we were to Kathmandu so Jean my husband was able to get on the phone and try to get these tickets but when the airlines found out that I had had a c-section in order to deliver my daughter um, they said that they would not issue a ticket to me because they considered me a medical high risk and they said we don't want an infant less than two weeks old on the plane either and you see the first available flight was Friday so she would be three days old and my husband uh, just he was able to get a ticket for himself and he I remember came back to the room where I was in the bed and he just said um, they won't let me get a ticket for you but I'm going and I'm going to take her I'm going to take her because if we don't do this she's gonna die and so we did a 12-hour trip in a Land Rover, me lying on my back on the Thursday to Kathmandu. And on Friday morning, my husband wrapped the baby in a blanket. I was able to nurse her one more time. And between me and another young mom, um, we were expressed enough milk into a 
one of these little Playtex bottles that has a baggie on the inside. We express milk into a little bottle like that, and that's what my husband left with. So baby in one arm wrapped up in a blanket, bottle in the other hand, and a diaper bag over his shoulder. And he headed back to North America. So I was left behind. My mother-in-law had come about a week prior because she was just going to come and help out his grandma with this birth of this child. And um, she was there to help, thankfully. And our son at that point was about 20 months old. So I remember laying on a bed with my son who wouldn't let anybody touch him. He just was really distraught over everything that had been upset in his little life. Plus he had had a measles vaccination a few days prior and now he was feverish. So he didn't want anybody else near him. He lay there with his little arms wrapped around my neck. And I, I cried. I just didn't know if I was going to see my daughter alive again or not. I had no idea what was going to happen. It would be a week before I would be allowed to return on that flight. And so um, I remember just crying out to God and saying, what is it that you want me to learn? What is it? Like I've, I fought with culture shock significantly for two years and I would finally come through that and we were willing to spend the rest of our lives there. And, and I was good with that. But now everything had just stopped. Like everything was just done. And we were going back to North America. We didn't have a job waiting. We had no house. We had no car. We didn't even have healthcare insurance. And now we were going to have a baby in a, in a NICU ward in an American hospital, right? So a lot of stuff, it, all, all the makings of a perfect storm. So as I lay there and cried, it's like, God, what is happening? And, and what, what do you want me to learn from this into that very, very dark moment? he brought the lyrics of a well-known hymn to mind and music has always ministered deeply to me he knew how to reach me at that point and he spoke to me the lyrics of the of the song great is thy faithfulness so it's great is thy faithfulness oh god my father there is no shadow of turning with thee thou changest not thy compassions they fail not as thou hast been thou forever wilt be i laid there and i listened to those lyrics I just let them wash through my mind until I I couldn't contain it anymore I just I started singing out loud not not strong bold you know with a strong bold voice but but with a voice that was cracking and choking with tears and but but hanging on I was hanging on for dear life to the truth that even though God didn't promise me that my daughter would live he didn't promise me that I would see her alive again. He didn't promise me what her quality of life would be if she lived. But he promised me that he would be faithful no matter what. And that reality changed my life at that point because I began to understand that what we believe to be true about who God is sets us up for having hope when those really hard things happen in life and they will they happen to all of us it's just a matter of time and and what it's going to look like we just don't know how hard it's going to be when it hits but if if we if we construct a form of god through our circumstances he's he's not going to be big enough to meet us there we have to we have to view God through the lens of truth and view our circumstances through that lens. How we see God uh, will, like I say, determine whether or not we have hope. 
with those circumstances. So how, how, do you, how would you help someone who might be worried? Yeah, worry can really get us, can't it? Because we get stuck on the what ifs. Well, what if this happens? Well, then this is going to happen. And, we, and our imaginations will take us from point A to point B just in a split second. And usually that point B is way off what reality is. And so I've got a little equation that I like to share with people just as a practical tool. So when worry grips you, go back to this. And it's based on Philippians uh, 4, 6, and 7. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says... Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so when you take that verse apart, we end up with these equations. So on one side of the equation, you have three things, three components that you must have in order to get the component that's on the other side of the equal sign, okay? So the three components would be do not be anxious. And that's easier said than done, but it's something that we, we have to just say when we feel our mind taking us that place, we say, uh, stop, just stop. It's like put your hand up and say, I'm not going there. I refuse to dwell on stuff that I can have no control over for the most part or that I cannot change because it's already happened. I got, I'm not going to waste my energy on stuff that, that I'm, I'm just not going to be able to fix on my own here. So do not be anxious. That's the first component. Second one is pray. So whatever that thing is, it's causing worry turn it to prayer. Every time you feel that worry inside, use that as the trigger to pray about it. But then the third component is to give thanks. And for years, I overlooked that component. I would pray and pray and pray and pray and pray about whatever was worrying me. And I only got more worried because I was focusing on that thing. And it got bigger and bigger and bigger in my head. And so what we have to do is tamper that and, and give thanks for what God has already done in your life, for what God is going to do. Give thanks to God that he is going to be faithful through thick and thin, no matter what happens. Thanks that, he's, that he is trustworthy. Thanks that he is sovereign over every detail of our lives and that he sees our situation. He hears our cries. We can give thanks for all of those things. All right, so refuse to be anxious. Pray about it. Give thanks. Then you come to the equal sign. And on the other side of that equal sign is peace. The peace of God that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds. And our minds is where the battle is, right? Where all the worry stuff starts. But the peace of God will guard our minds in Christ Jesus. But you have to do all of those three things because if one of those components is missing, it's not going to add up to peace. Grace shares some tips that will help you overcome fear. Uh, I just want to share briefly, Nancy, with your audience a, a tidbit of advice for anybody who's feeling overwhelmed by fear because we're living in some pretty uncertain scary days right and these are things that I do when I start feeling fear creep up so the first one is I remember I don't have to go it alone I will find someone to pray with me I can just tell somebody usually it's my husband might be a, a girlfriend I'm a part of a women's Bible study I can share it with them and I know that they're praying for me I don't have to do this by myself second thing is I listen to praise and worship music and I will combine that with another step. And that is 
a literal step. I'll put my earphones in and I'll take my phone and I'll go for a walk. So I'm getting exercise, I'm getting oxygen into my system, which is a good thing to do, right? And work out some of that stress just by walking. So I'll walk in and listen to the praise and worship music as I go. Another one is to post scripture verses. So promises that are going to be true um, for me in that storm. And I can write them on a sticky note or put them on a recipe card or whatever and post them where I'm going to see them often so that when my mind starts carrying me away to that point B that has nothing to do with reality, I can go back and see that truth. And then the, the last one is to make Jesus my focus. And that spend time in the word. And, and you know what? Like sometimes when our minds are on overload, we can't read a whole passage of scripture. We can't, we can't do it. We just keep reading the same thing over and over and over again. And it's not, it doesn't click, but, and we can't remember it later either. Right. But to just, even if it's one verse, one verse, just something, because we need that encouragement most when we're on overload. To get Grace's new book, Finding Hope in Crisis, go to gracefox.com.